0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: This is the last laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast. It's been almost 20 years since Chappelle's show aired its final episode, and my guest on today's show is still probably best known for this iconic catchphrase.
0: Now that you've got your check, do you plan on quitting your job driving this truck? Truck driving? I ain't no truck driver. I'm a janitor. Janitor? That's right, baby. I just bought this truck straight cash. <laughs> and I got enough cigarettes to last me and my family for the rest of our lives. <laughs> I'm rich, bitch. <laughs>
1: But as Donnell Rawlings says in our conversation, he was already finding success as a comic and actor before Chappelle's show, and has spent the past two decades trying to both emerge from Dave Chappelle's shadow and stay extremely close to the man who has become comedy's most divisive figure. That close relationship led directly to Donnell's latest stand-up special, A New Day which started streaming on Netflix this week and is part of the Chappelle's Home Team series that also includes the special from comedian Earthquake that premiered two years ago. Donnell's new special has been in the works for quite a while now, and is actually the third version he shot after Chappelle told him the first two weren't good enough. It was a humbling experience that Donnell says only made him stronger. We get into a lot in this episode, including stories about the early days of Chappelle's show, and how he felt when Dave decided to abruptly walk away. We also talked a bit about the controversies that have consumed his friend in recent years. We began, however, by jumping right into an incident that happened this past week at the Laugh Factory in L.A., when Donnell was caught on camera heckling fellow comic Corey Holcomb, who had been attacking both him and Chappelle from the stage. But before we get to that, let's listen to an extended clip from A New Day, in which Donnell shares his thoughts on the Montgomery, Alabama riverfront brawl that took the internet by storm last summer.
0: You know who not feeling good? Uh, uh, those white people. They got they ass whooped sitting on the dock of the bay in Alabama, nigga. Y'all see that shit? The Alabama brawl. Google that shit, nigga. The greatest fight in the history of fights. That's the only fight that started a civil rights movement, nigga. No <laughs> white people got the shit beat out of them. And listen, black people, we've been wanting to unite. We've been wanting to come together as a people, but we didn't have no call to action shit. We didn't know how to set it off, nigga. We did it like a hooty hoo or a ski. We didn't have shit to unite our people. Who would have thought civil rights movement would have started with a nigga? Let me see your head, nigga. Give me your head. Give me your head, nigga. <laughs> with this shit right here. What? <laughs> nigga, niggas came out that shit. It looked like a roach commercial. <laughs> <laughs> beat the shit out of them crackers. Now, one person dropped their beer, They was getting shit beat out of them. Like, oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Fucked him up. The new sir And you know what? This is when I knew that this was a movement. When a nigga hit a white bitch in the head <laughs> with a folding <friendship laughs> chair from Walmart, the nigga didn't get arrested and didn't get shot. I was like, look at God. Won't he do this? He will. My God is all Cool. are you uh, are you on the road right now what's going on um, my life is always on the road yeah I'm in okay. LA doing press for the special yeah yeah where are you based usually Yellow Springs, Ohio
1: Oh really did you move there uh, to be closer to Dave or what's uh what's going on in Yellow Springs
0: I moved there to be closer <laughs> to nature. you like it I love it I wouldn't live there if I didn't. It's good after the pandemic I told myself Hollywood is dead I'm good and according to Cat Williams and all these other black comics. You gotta suck a dick to live making it out quick.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the message uh, you've been getting.
0: Yeah, that's the message I've been getting. One of my comic well, I thought he was my friend, said, if you've been in three movies, you have to have suck a dick. And I was like, wait a minute, I've been in three. But he didn't fact check me because I look at I looked at his item BD and he had six movies, so he must have been double fisted.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was uh that was Corey Holcomb. You got you got a you got a little attention for that the other night at the Laugh Factory, right?
0: Yeah, I didn't even want it, man. It was, it was very interesting. I just was, you know, I guess a lot of people don't understand what, uh, like, loyalty is. And that everybody's like, you stood up for Dave. I didn't stand up for Dave. I stood up for myself. I was trying to tell him I did three movies, right? And then <laughs> it just, about. I think that there was something underlining before that even happened. But it was unfortunate. But, you know, you keep it moving.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like the yeah, people were saying that you were that you were standing up for Dave and I, I do wonder, do, do you often feel like you uh you have to come to his defense? People assume that you're coming to his defense, uh, in these situations.
0: I don't have to come to his defense, but I do defend him. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's not like he's like Donnie'll go get him, but you know, it's it, it's just like when you're as close to somebody, I mean this is what people don't understand. It's like, Oh yeah, our relationship is not just Chappelle showing comedy, like we are Best friends, you know what I'm saying. It's not just like oh y'all work together. No, we've been to funerals together. We've been to cookouts together. Well, you know what I'm saying. We have that. So, and especially if you if you know the relationship that I have with him and somebody. So if you talk like sideways or whatever, you got to. I can't listen to it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Take that shit to somebody else, but not to me because. It's like, that. he's like a brother. It's like, you say something to my family member, then I'm gonna check you. And when I like look back at that um, incident, I say to myself, you know, there's a, a unwritten rule that comedians don't heckle other comedians. But in this case, I wasn't heckling, I engaged the conversation. And I know that he knew that I had a certain feeling about his comments about Dave, because before I ever could say anything else, He's just, he brought Dave's name up. That led, and that led to him questioning my street creds, which I don't give a shit about anymore. You know what I'm saying? At a certain age, you don't care about that. And then you kind of question, like, who I am as a comic. And to paint, try to paint the picture of me not being funny, that's when I just snapped. Because after 30 years, I said, you can say a lot of things about me. You can say I'm ashy. You can say I'm ugly. You could say a lot of things. But the thing that I hold close to my chest is that I know I'm funny. And I, when I, even that incident, I told him, I was like, you tell me one person that can say I'm whack. Just one. And then name five people that can even say they ever saw me have a bad set. Now, I've had sets that weren't funny as the other ones, but I, I take a lot of pride in that. I take a lot of pride in how hard I work to be undeniable. I never, and when I told him, I said, yo, motherfucker, I'm a beast. I never spoke on myself like that. People have said that. I'm a very humble person. And I was like, uh, with that situation, Enough is enough. And that's when people try to create a false narrative. Your words speak volume when you go to these platforms, trying to tell people that I'm not funny. And I defended myself. And then I was like, okay, Donnell, you ready for the fight? Then as I looked at it, I started looking at the blogs. I was like, you know what, Donnell? You don't have to fight this dude. Your fans are doing it. I I didn't have to... I didn't say... You, everybody. Yo, you're bugging. You're crazy. There's no way you can say anything about him, but you can't say that. And I'm ready. You know, I won't start something, but I did in this case. Yo, it's mild. <laughs> it's mild. You, you know, know what? You on. know what? You know what you're doing now? You're a provocateur. You know how to incite people. Ain't nothing mild about and my people. Shit. Look at you. Ain't nothing. If you was at the mall, put you out with your <laughs> hot dog in your and hand. That's, <laughs> and guess what? And guess what? And guess what? You can say what you want to say. You can say what you want to say. You calling me a malcomic comic is totally off. So, so you're a strong comic. I'm a beast. <laughs> I'm a beast.
1: I'm a beast. That's right. Do you have any regrets about uh, shouting back
0: at the stage in that moment? Do you, do you wish you could take it back? Um, no, I don't wish I could take it back because it exposed him. You know what I'm saying? It like... It, it, I mean, I'm telling you, I had so many communities calling me talking about, thank you, somebody needed to say it. You know what I mean? I don't like to engage that type of stuff. I stay away from it. I know that I probably shouldn't have yelled out, but for what the light that is bringing to, like, who I am as a comic, and the light is bringing to, like, really showing somebody that's really angry and a hater, it was, like, one of those things that it was unnecessary and kind of necessary at the same time.
1: Yeah, you, you described yourself as... Uh, humble, and I think you had a sort of a humbling moment uh, or two around the, the creation of this new special, right? Because it, it's been a long time coming. I know it's been through some evolution. So can you kind of tell the story of, of what happened with this special and, and maybe why it took so long to get here and, and, and how you're feeling about it now?
0: Well, it started like um, I've always, I, most comics are in pursuit to do a special. And if you want to do a special, you want to probably do it on the biggest platform. So for years I've been in the what I want to say radar of Netflix, but for whatever reason things just didn't pan out. Like you know, you you like this. Okay, I just get this one set. I want a special. I even remember I had a conversation with Robbie Praw maybe like six years ago when I was with Jeff Ross on the, um historical roast, and I said I, I went to Robbie and I said yeah,
1: he's the the comedy guy over at Netflix. Yeah, he's the, the guy. You,
0: yeah, if Robbie Pra is the check writer, he's the one that says, "Yeah, you get a special. You get a special." He's the Oprah Winfrey of it. You get a special. You get a special. <laughs> Everybody gets a special. So I was doing this project with Jeff Ross. I was it was the historical roast, and I was dressed as a serpent. Right, I was a green serpent. And the reason why I'm saying is that I'm dressed as a serpent, as a snake, and um. I'm, I'm going to have a conversation with Robbie. And I wonder why he's looking at me like I'm crazy, because I'm forgetting that I'm... <laughs> you forget, yeah. I'm, I'm a snake. So I was like, I said, Robbie, I was like, um tell me what do I need to do to put myself in a position to have a better conversation with you? And he knew what I meant by that, right? And he said, Donnell, let me explain something. He said, um you're one of the funniest comics that I know. You're one of my favorite comics. He said, but you, and I know everybody comes to, he said, but you got to realize that we tell people no... All day. All day, every day. Everybody
1: wants a special on Netflix, right?
0: Yeah, everybody. And and he has to tell so many people, no, and he's a, he has a tough job. Like, it's just, no, 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 no. And I didn't take anything, I didn't take that as being disrespectful or hating. I said to myself, he has a point. So now I have to be undeniable. So I got to go back to drawing board. And what I mean by that is that every time I go on stage where... I'm in front of him, or in front of one of his colleagues that can spread the word. I was like, I just got to keep killing and killing and killing and killing and keep killing till he's like, wait a minute. So some time had passed. During the pandemic, we started doing these shows at the um, in Yellow Springs, out in the cornfield. So we were like, we at that time we were the only people that were doing shows. We were like the first group of people that started a bubble. And I would rock every night. Like every night it was a different set, different set, different set, different set. So Dave had an opportunity to see me in a tough environment like every night and always switching my stuff. And he said, Donnell, man, I want to produce your special. I've never asked Dave, hey, you want to produce my special? I keep our friendship, our friendship, and I stay away on the business side of that. You know, I'm like, you're my boy. I don't want to be like, hey, could you do this for me?
1: Yeah, because he has, he has quite a lot of uh, sway at Netflix, I think.
0: Yeah, he has a lot of sway at Netflix. So he was like, I want to produce your special. I want to produce your special. I was like, okay. So it was like, no, no he wanted to, but it wasn't anything we could do because it was during the um, pandemic that he uh, proposed this to me. And at that time, no venue was open. So it was just wishful thinking. So I'm like, and at that time, I, w- I had made, really worked as a working comic that um, – like that entire year, so I was like, "Oh man, I can't wait till the things start to lighten up, so we can go out and find a venue and everything." So we found the venue in North Carolina was um, available to do a show, but it was so much restrictions. You know, like you only can have hundred people. You have to be vaccinated. Did you get your shot, right? Masks, yeah. Yeah, the whole thing. So we went when we went to this venue, and the, the venue it was a little theater that hold like six hundred people, because of the protocol for um for COVID, out we Netflix cut my audience from six hundred. To three hundred. So now you got to put a screen, like a black curtain in the wall to make us feel a certain way. So I was, my back was up against the wall right off the top, right? We did one show. I did my thing. I thought it was a great show. Um, Dave was livid because he was upset about Netflix uh, not letting the people in. And it was, things was going wrong. And he screamed on everybody, man. He held court. He was like, everybody, Donnell is the only person who did his job. Because I had to block everything out. Everything that was going on, I had to block it out and perform it. So we did the first show and I thought it was good. And then in between shows, this dude, Dave, come to me. He says, you know what, Donnell? If we don't get it now, we'll go again. I'm like, I was like, no, we're going to get it. <laughs> I was already counting the money. So second show, I blew it up, standing ovation. I do a chest bump with uh, uh, Stan Latham. uh stand there on the phone, call him Ricky Hughes. He killed it. He killed it. So sometime after that, he made an announcement that he was going to produce these specials called The Home Team, starting off with me and Earthquake. We we're, were about to do a, 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 a promotional tour. But the thing was, Dave, Earthquakes was already in the can. Dave had never watched my special, right? So he never watched it. So maybe after we announced that, we announced that Dave was going to do this, Maybe like a month later, Dave calls me. I'm about to go on stage in Baltimore. And he says, I want to shoot the special again, which is the most insulting thing you could say to a comedian that think he just destroyed the room. Yeah, that's and I was And like, I, I was like, wait a minute. How do we go from everybody feeling happy about it to you wanting to do it again? And he said, Donnell, you're one of the funniest guys I know. I'm a super fan. He said, I could put you in front of any room and you'll destroy the room. He said, but that does not make it a great special. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Funny is funny. So I had to listen to him and I had to understand this was constructive criticism, but I wanted, to, I needed more answers. And he said, first off, he said, half the audience were wearing masks. He said, this set would be relevant this year, but after that, it will be dated. It will look like 2020, right? So and he said, and then Donnell, I've seen you do these jokes better. Maybe a year after that, we were doing some shows in Napa Valley. And wherever he performs, um, he always records the show for his archive or for his future or whatever. And he looked at one of the producers uh, that he works with. He said, How many cameras do we have? She said, We got five. He looks at me and said, Do you want to shoot your special? I said, When? He said, Tomorrow. I'm like, What? (laughs) No, this is without me having a, this is with, with no set dressing. Or anything right and i was like okay let's do it and i was excited about it because i didn't want the spectacle like the last time hey donnell shoot is definitely special yeah this I wanted, is kind of just wanted, impromptu like yeah in the moment impromptu which was the best thing like it was only four people that even knew what we were trying to do which i love did that show destroyed it i called robbie Prah. i was like bruh I think we got a special. He was like, well, let me see it. Let's go. He didn't... They, nobody knew what we were doing. It was going to be like, ta-da! <laughs> right? And nobody knew what he was doing. So Robbie Pros said, oh, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. A month after that, Dave calls me again. I want to do it over. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? I was like, what's the <laughs> problem now? He says, uh, I didn't like the production. I'm like, you're the producer. <laughs> That's your job. So I said, break it down. I said, break it down. He was like, well... It was, he's a perfectionist when it comes to these specials. He said, well, I I didn't like the lighting. Um, I didn't like people getting up and down during the show. And I knew what it was when I went in. I was like, well, you remember when Richard Pryor did live at Sunset Strip? One of the most memorable jokes were when white people were coming late to sit down. You know what I'm saying? He was like, look at these white people, these black people. It was in the moment. So I'm telling him, like, what about that? He was like, well, I know. I said, well, it's anything that we can handle in, in post. Post-production, that's where the magic sometimes happens. He said, yeah, we could. He said, if you want to do it, we could do it. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. He said, but I'm telling you, we should do it again. I'm like, you know I'm thinking? We're never going to do this. Then I'm saying to myself, the check already cleared. He's never going to get the money back. So I'm like, <laughs> "I'm like, y'all going to have to sue me for that cash, right? So, and it was such a hard time because he has a busy schedule. I have a busy schedule. So I'm like, I don't even know if we're going to ever have time. I found that there was a... A, a gap in his schedule where I was performing at the New York Comedy Festival. And I suggested, yo, why don't we shoot the special that weekend? And he was like, what venue? I found the venue. It was a um, it was a, um, hard rock hotel. Uh, we did the scouting of it and we set the cameras up on November 9th. Um, we went in and I tell him all the time, thank you. Thank you for being a not just a friend, but being honest. You know what I mean? Yeah, he pushed you. He pushed me. And I think that with uh, the first taping and the second taping, and it only made me stronger. And every time he says something to me, I did the homework. Every time, well, don't do this. You should do this. I'll do the homework. He never really bothered me about my jokes or anything. He said, Donnell, you got that." He said, "You do the jokes, and I'll uh, do the bells and whistles." Even Dave said, with all the in the wake of everything that's going on with stand up, especially on the black circuit. He said, "I think you're special." This is going to be a breath of fresh air. And that's what I feel.
1: No, I mean, you're right. that comedy has gotten darker. I think it's gotten more divisive in a lot of ways where there's sort of like teams and and people on different sides of things. Um, you know, it did occur to me watching your special. There are a couple of moments where you kind of wade into some of the issues that have become so controversial for Chappelle. Um, you know, one moment where you sort of you say that people should be able to love whoever they want to love. Um, later, you refer to yourself as a transparent because maybe you're more in the in the mom role <laughs> sometimes. Right. Um, what made you want to include those moments? Because they do kind of it's a very different take maybe than the stuff that got Dave in trouble, you know?
0: Well, I'll tell you why, because one of the things with this special compared to the first one, a lot of them was just jokes. When, I, when I'm speaking now, this is reflection of me. You know what I'm saying? Like every I think every joke that I do is personal and how I feel about something. You know, I also know I don't subscribe to cancel culture. And I know that I, I don't have a hate in, bone in my body. I know I'm not trying to offend anybody. And then we can't just switch our stuff up to please what I consider a small group of people. And if some people say Dave got in trouble, but I'd put it like this. If you had someone that gauged any of Dave's specials, like, you say, okay, what do you think about it? You might have three people that didn't like it, then you got 97 people that loved it, but the focus is those three people opposed to the 97. And I think people like Dave, people like myself, people like Chris Rock, we're taking back who we appreciate and we're showing them love, and that 3%, go kick rocks.
1: You feel like Dave is uh and and anyone else has really misunderstood on these issues. Like, I mean, the the trans thing is the thing that that's gotten the most attention. And I think you know there there is a. It's it, you might think it's three percent, but it's a lot of people. I think who were upset by that. You know, especially in that community and, and that and those people. So why do you sort of understand why people were upset about
0: that? Do you want my honest opinion? And the reason, no, the reason why I don't, because I'll give you an example. I have a, a close friend of mine that's uh, a lesbian that's married, right? She came to one of our shows, right? And Dave was headlining. And um, I called her. I said, how did you guys like the show? They said, well, we didn't stay because I'll just say Judy. That's not her name. I, she said, because Judy walked out. And I was like, "Why?" Wow. she said she didn't like what he was talking about. And I... And it was a particular, it was a joke about his friend that committed suicide, right? It took a lot of heart to defend me like that. And when she did that, the trans community dragged that bitch all over Twitter. <laughs> For days, they was going in on her and she was holding her own because she's funny. But six days after that wonderful night I described to you, my friend Daphne killed herself. Oh, yeah. It's a true story, my heart was broken. Yeah, it wasn't the jokes. I don't know if it was them dragging her, I don't know what's going on in her life, but I bet dragging her didn't help. I was very angry at them, I was very angry at her. I felt like Daphne lied to me. She always says she identified as a woman, and then one day she goes up to the roof of a building and jumps off and kills herself. Clearly, only a man would do some gangster shit like that. <laughs> And I was like this. I know where you walked out, you got triggered by the setup. As soon as you heard the setup, you said, oh, I'm out of here. And that's what you got. But there's no way anybody could be upset about that joke if they listened to the entirety of the joke and where it went. There's no way. And if, and if, and if, and if you did, it's because you are an overly sensitive person and you're looking to attack somebody. Right. And my whole thing was like that. You cannot be upset on how a person feels. And Dave's, I think his point on everything is like this I understand you. I hear you. I understand, and I hear you. But that doesn't mean I have to agree with everything that you're saying. Let's be fair.
1: Yeah. I think it goes both ways, too. Like he doesn't have to agree with the audience, and the audience doesn't have to agree with him. So if people are offended or they don't like it, then obviously
0: they. They can they can turn it off. But people want to find something to be mad at. I said there's some people that aren't happy unless they're mad. And the reason why I take a fist at it, because you're, you're trying to destroy my friend's character. And when I tell you I know the type of person he is, I've seen the type of money he's invested in his community. I've seen him pay for funerals, situations, don't want, It's not in public. It's not in anything. And I know how hard he tries to be fair. That's why I take offense to it.
1: Coming up, Donnell looks back on those early days of Chappelle's show and later expresses his regrets about deciding to co-host the series of Lost Episodes with Charlie Murphy after Dave turned his back on the show and $50 million dollars. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to our episode with Chappelle's Show co-creator, Neil Brennan, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Wednesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple and Spotify to let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Donnell Rawlings. Donnell Rawlings. So I'd love to go back and, and talk sort of about the earlier part of your career. Um, what was going on in your life and your career um, when Chappelle's show came along? You were, I think there's this uh, perception out there, maybe people think that that was the first thing you ever did, or you kind of came out of nowhere, but you were already doing comedy and
0: and acting at that time, right? I was that this is what people don't understand. And I guess that show was so big that people act like I was wasn't doing anything before that. Like before that, I was a comic. I came for the Black Circuit, BT Def Jam era, right? But some kind of way I got into acting. I had already, before Chappelle Show, I had already did three episodes of Law and Order. I was already, I had already done HBO's The Corner, which led to HBO's The Wire. I had done so much dramatic acting that People didn't even know I was a, a comedian.
1: Yeah, that's kind of wild. You kind of uh, you you accidentally became a dramatic actor instead of a comedian for a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's what it was like. People I did they was like, yo, what's that actor do trying to be funny? The first before the first act the first comedic thing I ever did on television was the Chappelle show. You know, I was banging. You know what I'm saying? I was I was banging. I was on the come up. And from my class of comics, there was nobody that was doing what I was doing. And it just so happened at that time, Chappelle's show popped off. I was doing the Ricky Lake show. I was doing stand up all over the place, and everybody's like, "If it wasn't, if it wasn't for Dave, blah 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 blah." The bottom line is, Dave Chappelle and Neil Brennan gave me a platform for people to see what I was already doing and what I was destined, what I was destined to do.
1: Were you friends with those guys, or how did they find you or or, or make you part of the show?
0: Well, um, me and Dave were uh, acquaintances because we're both from Washington, D.C. And the Washington, D.C. comments, like our first test of you trying to do something is when you leave. So Dave was younger than me, but he was ahead of me in the business, you know. So, you know, he would come home on Christmas break or whatever. And he would ask, who's the hot comic now? Who's popping? And there was always, people would say one name, these other names. But then it was like, at that time, I was on fire. It was like, but there's this one guy named Donnell Rollins. He's popping. And Dave was like, man, fuck him. Right? That's what he would say. (laughs) And then I would ask people like who left here that was popping. They was like Dave Chappelle. I was like what makes him pop? They was like he was young, he's young, he's smart, he's been in, he's going to be his Robin Hood men and tights. And then I was like fuck him. So it was like a like a not in a bad way, it was just like a just Some competition crap. there. Yeah, competition. So we knew each other. We knew of each other. When I moved to New York, he knew, like, that's the guy in D.C. that everybody was talking about. But my connection with the Chappelle show, Neil Brennan at the time was a PA for, I think, in Living Color. They were going out auditioning people. And Neil Brennan saw me. He was a fan of my stand-up. And um, he wanted to—after they did Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Neil had sold, like, three scripts to Hollywood, but they weren't getting the green light. So he had to— Uh, reinvent his stuff he said he wanted to get into directing and acting so he reached out to my manager and he said I'm doing this little short film I want to learn how to edit I want to direct you think Donnell would be a part of it and at that time I was already popping I said Neil I know you can't afford me I said but you if you I was on a roll I said but if you ever situation and throw me a bone just let me know so he's okay about two months after that he said, I'm working this project. I'm going to see what's up. And I was like, all right, what's the name? But he said, I don't know. I said, well, get the name. Let me know. Come to find out, the project that he wanted me to be a part of that was new, nobody knew about, was Chappelle show. And, no, you know, no, no not taking away from, Dave was the guy who put the final stamp on it. But it was Neil introducing me to that because Dave was more in touch with Greer Barnes and Tony Woods, these other guys. Like, that was Dave... Uh, Creole Bonds was Dave's man, you know, and Neil, and Neil Brennan, that was that was uh, I was his guy. But it just happened that when, once, once they gave me an opportunity in the show, every character, everything I did, I was hungry, bro. I made everything pop, even if they didn't let me talk. I was like. I gotta be memorable. Whether I say anything, a lot of the characters I put the details on them. I put the ash on Ashley Larry. The character beautiful. He wasn't. He didn't even exist on paper. I created him the night before, not being on the call sheet. I'd say, give me a wig, give me an aerosol bottle. The, if you looked at the old scripts, beautiful is not on that script at all. Yeah, you just you kind of uh, you inserted yourself in there. Yeah, and I knew like. And if you take if you were to um if you were to have an editor. Uh, put a timeline together of all the times I spoke in this show, it probably was like six minutes. But I said, I said I never I don't nobody was on paper as being a cast member. You was only as good as your last sketch. So it's for me, it's like, I gotta rip this sketch so they could think about me again. I ripped that one, they'll think about me again.
1: Yeah. You're certainly certainly memorable in the in your in your six minutes or whatever total time. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's very impactful. Um, you mentioned uh Ashy Larry, which I imagine is still the thing that people yell at you the most when they see you out in the world. What's the uh what's the origin of that character? Is that something that you came up with or well not
0: not not one hundred percent. The character was already dressed in boxer shorts and um and um and uh Dress shoes, but I was like, I want to be funny on site. A guy with boxers on is one thing, but a guy being so ashy that you could write how much money you owe, you he you 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 owe to him on the side of his leg. I I said that this is going to be crazy. I went to uh, the hair and makeup. I said, give me some baby powder. I put baby powder all over myself. I put a robe on. Nobody knew what I was going to do. I went out there. When I took that fake dice and blew that ash out there. It was like, uh, uh, uh it was, a, uh, you know, it was over. It was over. It was over.
1: And finally, from these very projects, local legend, Ashy Larry. <laughs> Why do they call him Ashy Larry? Well, there's
0: your answer. Ashy Larry, Marcy Projects. Marcy, son, what? Okay, Larry gets first move. Let's see how he does That man is dried and cool to Kentucky's ankle. Yeah, let's go. I stole this money on my girl purse. She think I'm out emptying the trash. Come on, bro. You need this. So what you need is some chapstick and a set of trousers. Those dice gas and start the game. Alright, well, I'm about to go from ashy to classy.
1: Was there a moment? When you knew that the show was going to be a hit, that it was gonna be as big of a deal as it
0: ended up being? The first time the first time we did wraparounds where you invited an audience to go see them, I felt something. But another thing people don't know, I was a warm-up comic for the show. So I would be the comedy to get you amped up before the show starts. And that's one of the reasons why whenever you saw my character come on, you heard people going crazy. It wasn't for the character so much. Because they didn't know him yet. It was for, oh, that was the guy. Yeah. I was very smart. I was smart. (laughs) I was like, I'm like, boy, the days I knew I was coming up, I would go crazy. So as soon as they saw me, ah, ah. And that's what it was. I felt, and the reason why I felt it was something special, because I was still living in Brownsville, Brooklyn, then. And I would go to the barbershops, I'd go to the most gangster spots. And for the here, because, you know, in the streets, it took a while for Dave to win those people over. You know, he was always the college guy. You know, he was always the straight-laced guy. But when I started hearing the compliments coming from the barbershops and the liquor stores, and all that type stuff, I was like, this guy has something special. He has something that's going to bring everybody together. And I felt that it was going to be a phenomenal show.
1: Yeah, um, you know, it's kind of crazy how, short-lived it was in a lot of ways um you know it was like what two seasons and a little bit um after that when did you find out that that dave was was walking away from the show and 50 million
0: dollars uh and how did you feel about it at the time i found out like everybody else through the news you know because I i was on a high me tony Me and Charlie Murphy, we were so pumped up because our names was buzzing. We had a tour going on. We started to make some decent money. We was like, yay. We was excited. We didn't even know. And that's one thing. The behind the scenes stuff, Dave and Neil kept it away from us. You know what I'm saying? And we went, we probably we weren't, we weren't focused on that. We were just like, we was just so happy that Charlie Murphy went from Eddie Murphy's brother to Charlie Murphy. I went from like Ashley Larry to I'm Rich Bitch. You know what I'm saying? I'm like just, we gonna make some money, we good. In fact, when, 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 they went, when we were going back into production for the show, me and Charlie was a little upset because that meant we had to come off the road for three months. We wasn't going to make that much money. Yeah, you made a lot more money on the road than on the show. Well, I didn't really make too much money on the show. And I'm not saying that to, like, bitch or anything. And it's so interesting when I hear these stories about these people that were a part of projects that nobody knew was going to blow up. Oh, when I did that, I only made $12,000. Yeah, because that was what you thought then. You know what I'm saying? And you knew what it was. You needed a platform. You wanted people to see you. And nobody knew how this was gonna turn out. So for those people that be bitching about that or whatever, you know, make sure your paperwork and your contract is in order. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it happens. I never bitched about the money I was making on the show because I knew the money I was making on the show was nothing to the money I was gonna make from doing the show. I would have done I would have done that show. For free.
1: I mean, if it had kept going, I imagine you might have gotten a chance to to make a little more
0: on it. Um, yeah, so was that a, tough to, to have it end the way it did? No, it didn't because I'm very thankful, man. I was like, you know what? Somebody can throw you a bone and you can't just keep going back getting the same bone. What I'm saying is I was happy with people seeing who I was. And I didn't I didn't have to make my money on that show. I'm gonna make my money regardless. So that didn't hurt me. I never felt any ill will like, oh, you messing my money up. I'm like, you gave me enough to go to the next page of my life, and the next page of my life will help you go to the next page of my life. I always look further, way ahead.
1: There was a, a great moment when you and Dave kind of brought back some of the characters from the show on SNL in uh 2016. I believe it was the week, the Saturday after Trump was elected in 2016. It was a crazy show on a lot of levels. Um, but you were there. What do you remember about about that week and and bringing back those characters and and being uh, getting to do that on SNL?
0: Well, that week uh, it was it was interesting me because I had just I had surgery on my knee. I tore my patella, you know, so I was going through physical therapy. And my knee was hurt. And when I went out there and they showed us where we had to sit for this walk of dance sketch, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to break my leg. But just to being around there and seeing him dressed up, seeing, like, how nice he uh, was as a character actor and just seeing how people received that, it was one thing when we did it. But then when they showed it and when we came on stage, when people went crazy, I was like, man, we did something. It was special. It was nice. And it was also an opportunity for me to be on another, another iconic show, SNL. So
1: did you get to hang around the show at all that week? Or were you there just to to film it and, and be there for the, for the show itself? Or what, what did you kind of.
0: No, I didn't really hang to. I just, you know, the funny thing about it was, I didn't know until like the day before I was going to do it, because Dave just forgets stuff. He knew he wanted me to be a part of it, but he, <laughs> he forgot, forgot to ask you. <laughs> he forgot to ask me what I did. The smartest thing I did, I knew the time they was taping. I had a show that weekend. I canceled that show. I canceled that show. I said I got to be available. I count. I had to be available just in case. And just like I thought, the day before, he was like, "Yo, deep, come on." I was like, "I'm so glad I wasn't in Pennsylvania <laughs> right now," you know. And then you did it again a, a few years later, right? Yep. And we killed it again. Those, those just people just really, really connected to it. But the interesting thing was that people thought that part was funny. But if they would have saw the stuff that they didn't use, oh, yeah. my God, it would have been crazy. It was a good time. <laughs> Yep.
1: Um, for the, the end of our episode here, uh, we do a segment called The First Laugh. So I'm going to ask you a, a series of questions uh, about some firsts in your career, uh, going all the way back to childhood. Do you remember the first piece of comedy that really made you laugh hard as a kid?
0: Watching it, watching it as a kid. What was the first thing uh, I used to I know this sounds crazy, but I used to get a kick out of Sanford and Son. I, would just, I just thought that it was like I, I just thought. That this show was funny as hell. And another thing, I realized that, you know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't, a, the, the fact that it was like an old granddad type of dude that was unfiltered, that was doing this stuff. And I knew part of his career had been doing it for a while, and just to blow up at that age, I was fascinated with that show. You big dummy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you remember the first time that you knew that you were funny, that you could make other people laugh?
0: I never felt I I was just always the funniest person in the room. I've always, since a kid, I was always the funniest person. But there was never a time when I knew I could make people laugh. I always did make people laugh. I never aspired to be a comedian. I never wanted to do comedy, but I knew if I'm in a room, I was the funniest dude. I was the funniest roaster. I remember I was a little dude, skinny dude, big head, scrawny guy. I didn't like, I don't. I wasn't a good fighter or anything like that. But the funny thing was like, was anytime the guys used to get into beef, like a roaster session, that's the only time they came and got me out the classroom. They'd be like, come on, man, we got to go get down there. We're going to whoop your ass. And I'd go in there, blah, blah, blah. But it just so happened, like, it happened from me going to an open mic, being a heckler, to to lead into a career of 30 years.
1: What about the first time you actually got on on stage to perform stand-up? Uh, where was it? Uh, how did it go? What do you
0: remember about it? Comic, comic. Comedy Connection to Greenbelt. I was I used to go to this club with my friends from work just because we got free tickets. We used to love to go to the comedy show. I used to heckle people. I used to heck, I used to destroy people. And everybody that I used to come with wanted to see me go from a heckler to a stand-up, and they challenged me, the club challenged me. I finally went on stage, and the first time I ever touched a mic, I got a standing ovation.
1: Do you, uh, It's funny that you started as a heckler. I mean, do you feel like, uh, do you, how, what do you think about hecklers now? Do you encounter them much uh, when you're
0: on stage? I don't encounter them. I don't encounter them because I have a level of confidence right now, and you're not gonna mess with me. You know what I'm saying? I think that that's for like, heckling people's for young. Here's the funny thing, I've been in the news about Corey Holcomb yelling yeah, out. Yeah, you as a heckler. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, do y'all know this is where I started? <laughs> Yeah, you really come full circle. <laughs> yeah, I'm like this, yo, this is how I started my career, yelling out at people. And the <laughs> only reason I stopped, because I know that it was an unwritten rule, you don't heckle, you know? But now that I think about it, I don't feel bad about my situation with Corey, because I started as a heckler. I don't advise yeah. it. it's kind this of... Is, this is your roots, yeah. Yep, yeah, but... You know, that's it. And then I never looked at it. the first time I went on the stage. I never looked back. And 31 years later, it's still something that I enjoy. I still perform as if I was a comic of 22 years old. I still, I still have the same energy. I still have the same passion for it. I still love it. I still believe that every year I can get better. Every year I can evolve. And for, and, and I'm just telling you, man, I'm so excited about this special because the title, New Day," it really is. It really is a representation of where I am right now. It's a new day, it's a new dawn, it's a new life, and I'm definitely feeling good about it.
1: We haven't talked too much about your acting work, but I was curious if you have an audition story from your career that that stands out either because it went really well or went really poorly or...
0: Well, well, I'll I'll say I do have an audition story. When I was a part of HBO's The Corner, um, this was a big deal. I probably was doing comedy for like a year and a half, I had this audition, and in the audition, I thought I was bombing. The character was this guy named Brent. He was a heroin addict, and I was bombing in this audition. I thought I was forgetting my lines and everything. And the cast director said, Donnell, it's okay. God is in the room. Just relax, and you'll do it. So I did it, and I left there. I was like, oh, man, they ain't going to never. i probably never go in this office again. Cut to four days later, I booked it. I forgot my lines or everything, I booked it. And then when I get on set, first person I meet is David Simon. And I was like, I got a question. I said, how did I get this role? I said, I thought I bombed in an audition. He said, we liked the way you threw the lines away. Like, pay. I was like, well, that's called not knowing your lines, right? <laughs> and then everybody like else, yeah, everybody else that really fed into the stereotype of a heroin addict, I'm pretty sure they was all going in there like, yeah, man. And they didn't want that. They wanted to see how this guy, they wanted to see who he was away from being high. Yeah, you seemed then, real. Yeah, I seemed real, and they, and they liked that.
1: And then obviously you were on The Wire. Um, what stands out in your memory from your experience
0: being on that show? I mean, talk about another iconic show uh, along with Chappelle. Well, what stood out for that for me, and what a lot of people don't know, when I went to set for The Wire, Robert Colesbury, he passed away some years ago, executive producer. He said, you know, we, were, we had you to play Omar. He said, that would but been we something. This. Yeah, he said, but we wanted to save you for this, the role of Senator Clay Davis' assistants, right? And that, that role, it was a small role that was going to be bigger. But what happened was the Baltimore Tourism Board was so upset on the way that production treated Baltimore. Like, it's always about drugs and everything. That's why, if you notice, that first season, it went from the towers to the docks, they had to switch the whole storyline. And when they switched the storyline- my Because of the tourism board, yeah. Yeah, and when they switched the storyline, that's when my character got lost in the arc and it was over. But I was, and that, I know that character was gonna be dope because that character had his hands in the streets and in politics. I, I was so ready. I was like, oh, this is gonna be it. But they switched it. Who you driving for? Marla Danny's Mm, mm, mm. I love to crack this hair crib. Mm. Yeah. Good day's work. Good day's work. What about the loan system? Shit, I wire that weak-ass thing back on itself. Pull the truck up, busted those French doors. That'll work. Yes, indeed. Said most of this good shit around the way. But some of it, like that art and all, I might have to run it up New York. Name's Damien Price. But I mostly go by Day Day. You said days, but I'm mostly goodbye, Lieutenant.
1: Is there something in your career that you said no to that you now kind of wish you had said yes to? Um, no. No. What about something you said yes to that you uh, now kind of wish
0: you'd said no to? Well, not so much a no, but I wish I would have considered considering somebody's feelings. When we did Chappelle's show, The Lost Episodes, we hadn't talked to Dave or anything. And uh, Comedy Central had an archive, of video. I knew they wanted to do something with that. We didn't know, I didn't know what Dave's frame of mind was or anything. And I was just looking out, me and Charlie were looking at like, okay, this might be our last opportunity to get this. Not knowing the politics involved with it, not knowing what Dave's feelings was about it. And we decided to do it as closure. Not trying to get a career, not saying we're going to be the new Chappelle show, but like, hey man, like that Charlie said, I really don't want to be here y'all and I was like man speak for yourself I need all the camera time I can get and then like as time go past Dave told me that he felt uncomfortable about that so I do regret that and I said Dave if you would have picked up the phone and let me know and let us know where you were all you had to do is say all you to do is say I'm not fuck with them don't fuck with them yeah, but he didn't say anything. And it would have been, he didn't say anything. And you too, you got to look at it like this. We young, hungry people, not trying to be disrespectful. We didn't say, yeah, we can do this show with anything. It was almost like a funeral for the show.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: We, it was, it was we, we sort didn't of, do We didn't, we do didn't any know any what was going to happen, yeah. We didn't do any more sketches after he left anything. It was just like, what did we do with this? That was it. Finally, is
1: there a story or memory from your career that really makes you laugh now, but was not funny when it happened?
0: I I remember saying when I was a young comic, I realized that you can't go for the obvious. And this was way before cancel culture. I was doing a show and it was this gay guy in the audience, right, and he was heckling me. And what I did was I attacked his sexuality, which he was in tune with. I was like, yeah, you, I can't even say the word right now, right? He said, yeah, you so-and-so. And I thought, back then, you could say that. People were like, oh, he called him a so-and-so, right? He said, yeah, you. And then he stood up and he said, listen, I am more man than you'll ever be and more woman than you'll ever get. Don't make me read you. Bop, bop. And I was like, oh that was a mic drop and some years after that I was on the streets of D.C. and this guy came up to me He said you remember me? I was like do I? You tried to ruin my career five years ago <laughs> and, now, and that's, that, that's that story.
1: That's funny um, yeah well it shows how times have changed right?
0: Yes yes, for sure I knew I couldn't get away with half the stuff I used to talk about back then
1: well uh, thank you so much for doing this Donnell and uh, yeah congrats on the special I'm glad it, it, I know it took a long time to, to make it happen so I'm glad it's
0: finally here. Thank you man I appreciate your time
1: Thanks again to Donal Rawlings for taking the time to chat with me for this week's episode. His stand-up special, A New Day, which is part of the Chappelle's Home Team series, is streaming now on Netflix. And you can get tickets to see him on tour at donnellrawlings.com. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on threads at Matt Wilstein and at thedailybeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram and threads where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by ACAST for The Daily Beast with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week.